As a new grant writer, I'm finding that many funders ask for an LOI to be submitted first before determining if our nonprofit will be invited to participate in a full application. What makes a good LOI? Well, I... I have definitely seen a trend toward this. And I think some of it is funders are, I actually love it when funders do this because it's really shortening like the time the organization has to spend, right? Instead of investing all this energy into a full grant proposal, you get like generally the LOI is like a gut check for the funder, right? You know, letter of interest, letter of inquiry, but like a a gut check from the funder to sort of say, is this, is this, are we interested in learning more before we put you through your paces and, and our review team through its paces? So I think from that angle, LOIs are awesome. Um, as far as making a good LOI, I think that kind of like anything with grant writing, you want to make sure that um, if there's details about, you know, instructions about what they want in the LOI, you need <laughs> to follow them, right? I mean, I know that's kind of a no-brainer, but but I have seen organizations where it says no longer, no more than a one-page or two-page LOI, and a nonprofit like submits a six-page LOI, it sort of defeats the whole purpose of it, right? Yeah. So I think that sort of, and I, and I do think the whole point of an LOI is to be succinct. So it's like that hard, it's a great skill, I think, for nonprofits to to practice because they not only need to like everyone nonprofits generally don't have a problem being verbose. Let's be honest, right? (laughs) They're passionate about their work. They want to tell the world and they they have a very tough time narrowing that down to sort of the key facts. And I think that business people and funders find that incredibly annoying um, and are like, just, you know, I don't need to hear all the fluff, like just get or whatever. I don't need to hear all those details. I want to just hear the, the the basics. So I think what you do have to like my overall, I guess, guidance on this question would be try to keep this short and sweet and yet still prove that like get them excited enough. So every word matters in an LOI, like get them excited enough um, that they want to invite you for a full proposal. Nonprofit governance. Nonprofit answers. Nonprofit board. Nonprofit management. Nonprofit marketing. Nonprofit resources. The Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits presents Nonprofit Everything, the podcast about everything nonprofit, with your host, Andy Shurick and Stacy Wedding. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us today for another episode of Nonprofit Everything, where my fabulous co-host, Andy Shark and I do our best to answer your questions. And as you know, this is made possible by you, our listeners, and your questions, right? This, this podcast wouldn't exist without your questions. So please, we implore you to always, there is no question that is too small, too big, too complicated, too simple. We want to hear them all nonprofiteverything.com. You can also, you know, track down Andy and I and tell us what your question is and we'll make sure to cover it as well. And special thanks to Anne, the Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits, who is the presenting host of, of, of this podcast. And we also couldn't do this without Anne. So thanks to all of you. Today's podcast is sponsored by Immunize Nevada. Arm yourself by getting your annual flu vaccine. Protects you, your family, and those working on the front lines. Do your part. Get your flu vaccine by Nevada Day. Visit nv 
flufighter.org for more information and to find free and low-cost clinics. Should Facebook have similar content to Instagram or do you treat them totally differently? (laughs) I have no idea. (laughs) Oh, that was so brilliant, Andy. Oh my gosh. (laughs) But thank you for asking the question, which means that we're absolutely going to go to a guest expert. Do you have an opinion on this, Stacey? You know, I have an opinion that's not informed at all. I I think my gut instinct says that each of these social, I I know enough to be dangerous, right? Each of these social platforms that are out there and they keep increasing every day and I can't keep track of them, but each one is sort of driven by different things, right? So, you know, we've all seen sort of the changes that have happened with Facebook over the years where we're like, wait, why don't I ever see my friend post anymore? All I see are advertisements or whatever. Like, I, I think that each platform sort of is responding and, and designed to do different things. So while if you're small, it's easiest just to say, let me cross post this on every platform. I guess my bigger question is, where are you trying to go? What are you trying to get to? What are you trying to achieve through social media? And then you know, that, that drives the decision. But, but again, this is very much me being a novice. So uh, we'll, we'll bring in a pro for sure. Hey everybody, it's Stacy Wedding joining you today with a special guest. We have April Kemp. We love it when we have special guests on because uh, clearly Andy and I don't know everything. So when we can get someone else with, with specialized expertise or just a different perspective on something, we love it. it. It makes it a lot more interesting and we know all of our listeners probably get tired of hearing us. So with that said, um, let me get started and, and introduce you at least from a title perspective, but I'm going to have her dive into more of what that means. So today we have joining us April Kemp and April is the integrator communications and social media manager for sim marketing partners welcome april hi stacy thanks so much for having me so tell me a little bit about what exactly that title's a long big ti- fancy <laughs> title what does that mean absolutely the title is very involved and it just basically means that i take all kinds of communication aspects of marketing um, from social media to public relations to traditional marketing and just compile that into a, an integrated communication strategy to help move our clients forward. So April, tell me a little bit about how you got into this field, a little bit of background on you so our listeners know kind of what, you know, why did you get started in this line of work? Absolutely. So I'm actually originally from Washington, D.C., I met Darcy randomly on a trip to Vegas and she told me about her agency and I was intrigued, but just went back to DC and didn't think anything of it. Um, A few months later, how social media um, helps, Darcy found me on LinkedIn and she actually sent me a message and she said, Hey, you know, I've been thinking about your expertise ever since I met you and would love to have you come and join our firm. And I accepted, moved out to Vegas and I started as a public relations manager this is eight years ago. So public relations was a very traditional, um, you would pitch, pitch your clients for certain topics for their expertise, or, you know, do a lot of article writing, a lot of press releases, things like that to publications. How public relations has evolved 
has a direct impact with social media um, because as social media grew, public relations changed. Public relations incorporated social media into its strategy of how to make things work. And social media kind of took over in a way. Um, And so I started as a public relations manager. And then just with the change of public relations, I had to change as well. And that's what's great about CIM Marketing Partners is that Darcy, the founder, she really sees that change in industry and she plugs people in where they fit. And so where public relations started changing, I started changing and incorporating more social media into what we were doing. And then just kind of went all in on a social media strategy to for our company and for the clients that we work with. So we, we got a question that, you know, Andy and I, Andy stays away from social media like nobody's business, can't stand it. I, I dabble, but I know I'm far from perfect and not probably doing things nearly like I should be. But, but we had a question from one of our listeners that said, uh, should Facebook have similar content to Instagram or do you treat them totally different? Uh, so can you share some wisdom and, and some advice? Absolutely. The easiest answer for that question is that every every social media platform has its own identity. They are all very different and they are all used for very different things. Some, you know, there are overlapping things that you would add to each. Um, If you're sharing a professional announcement, yes, you would add that to Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, you know, all those, all the platforms. But if you want to share a picture of your kids or your dinner or something like that, that you'd save that for you wouldn't put that on LinkedIn. And so they each have their own personality and so you should treat them separately. So Facebook is great to show, you know, a bit of your personality, some important industry news, articles of, of note of, or of interest, things of that sort. Whereas Instagram is a way to kind of get to know you, your company, what you do a little bit better. So for Instagram, I mean, it's all pictures. And so you have a chance to illustrate your life and the things that you want to share with people. So if you weren't thinking of um, sharing for your business, your organization, or your company, you want to share who's behind the business and the company, who is helping you to succeed in your mission what your mission is with the communities that you're serving, who are you helping? What are you working with? What makes you special? What makes you stand out? And what makes you stand out may be your people. It may be what you're actually doing. It may just be that you are working in a building that has, that's 200 years old and has a lot of historical value. And you want to share all of those little nuances about your building. There's something to share on social media that you can illustrate with pictures um, that are great for Instagram. And it kind of just, Instagram allows you to get to know people and their lives a little bit better. So it's a little less structured, a little less stuffy. Um, and it allows you just to have a little bit more fun than Facebook, where Facebook, you kind of want to stay on message a little bit more. I think of the sites where you want to stay on message, you definitely, LinkedIn is the top. You want to stay on, on message with LinkedIn um, and promote yourself, your business, professional accomplishments, awards, and things like that. Facebook gives you a little bit more wiggle room because you can share things that you're interested in and, and articles that you've read and things of that sort that you think your audience would really relate to. Instagram is kind of a mix of those two of it's about your personal brand and the personal things that you're doing and what the company is doing, but then it gives you a little bit of the ability to be fun and share. Yesterday was national dog day 
And, you know, there's, you can share pictures of your dog. If you have an office dog that's running around or, you know, even just your own personal pets, you can share that kind of stuff on Instagram and people love that kind of stuff. That's really helpful. And I'm thinking about this from, from the point of, you know, these are all nonprofits that listen to our podcast and right. They all have, I mean, I think there's a lot of nonprofits that have some amazing photos or footage of, of their mission in action, right. Out in the community. I mean, there's some that it's a much harder issue and we can't get into all those nuances today. Right. Like, um, but, 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 but for those who maybe, maybe dogs and doing something with helping rescue dogs as part of their mission, or maybe it's, you know, homeless, homeless seniors or whatever that is. Yes. It sounds like each there's, there's room in each of these platforms to do something. But, but if I'm hearing you, LinkedIn is much more formal. I mean, I guess what I'm thinking about from, for, for, from a listener standpoint, should listeners even, I mean, should people who have nonprofits even set up a LinkedIn page for their nonprofit, or is that probably more designed for somebody who is like the executive director of that nonprofit? And do you get what I'm saying? Like, I do. I, do. Um, I think that all businesses need to have a LinkedIn account. Um, and they need to have a LinkedIn page because it makes I hate to say this, but it kind of legitimizes your business a little bit more. And if you're for your nonprofit, you may not want to share. Well, even even utilize the example that you brought up with homeless seniors or, or dogs or something like that. You definitely want to share your work. Um, but people on LinkedIn are other colleagues, they're other professionals, other um, nonprofits are there. Corporations for for sponsorships are on there, and so it allows other companies and leaders of other companies, executives, to see exactly what you're doing, how you're living your mission, and encourages them to donate to you or work with you, partner with you in some kind of way. So yeah, I definitely think that nonprofits have a place on LinkedIn. They need to have a presence there. And it's more so about here is, as you were saying, here is our mission in action. And here's everything that we're doing to move forward. Here's our executive board. Here's what we're doing in our meetings. Here's what awards we have. Just to make your nonprofit a a, a legitimate place for a company who's looking for someone to partner with, a nonprofit to partner with, just to to give you consideration. And so taking that, I'm going to just use this example while we're on a roll because I'm thinking it might help our listeners, right, to hear every platform. So LinkedIn, Mm -hmm. if I'm hearing you correctly, that might be, I'm just going to use while we're on it, homeless seniors, right? So maybe you got some award for your work on that. So maybe you showcase that. You could still maybe share statistics or data or information about what you're doing. But but if going back to what you said originally, that's probably a bit more of a, a... a little bit more of a formal showing your credentials, showing um, a little more business-like. Is that fair to say? Yes. Uh, it's the, um, I think their tagline is the, the professional social media site. So yeah, it's a little bit more buttoned up, a little bit more, um, a, a little bit more professional, a little bit more um, formal in that aspect. Yeah. And so then moving on to Facebook, and I know there's a lot of social media channels, so mm-hmm. um, I'll just focus on sort of the, the LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram, since those um, seem to be the ones that we get the most questions about. But so now we move that same organization, right, is on Facebook, and they have their own Facebook page for their nonprofit. Mm-hmm. So what types of things would, would you 
see on, on that page for this nonprofit or would you encourage them? Because it sounds like that's the middle of the road. It's not quite as um, casual as Instagram per se, but it's, but it's a little bit less formal than, than Facebook. So, so what would be an example? Um, you're absolutely right. It's probably the middle of the road where um, on LinkedIn, you want to talk about your professional accomplishments or, or what you have done um, specifically professionally. Facebook, you're allowed just to breathe a little bit more. So you talk about your professional accomplishments, but you can mix in some things that you're interested in, some articles of note, some, you know, some statistics about just the, the demographic that you're serving. Um, that doesn't have to come specifically from you. It can come from an article that you've read in your local newspaper that says, um, you're just working off the homeless seniors example, you know, here's a statistic of how many homeless seniors were, you know, surveyed last month. And this is why we do the work that we do. You share that article on Facebook and it allows for a conversation from a wider audience of people, not just other professionals who can applaud your work, but with people who, hey, I want to get involved in that. How can I help volunteer? Or I know someone who is a homeless senior. How do I get in touch with you to get them help or something like that? So it spreads your message to the everyday person. And then on Facebook, you can share, like I said, the people who are behind the organization, the, the nonprofit. So you want to celebrate your executive director's birthday. That's great for Facebook. Um, people connect very, very well with people. Um, looking at just statistics on Facebook and just the, the things that we see in all the posts that we have on Facebook, um, people connect so much more to faces, um, just seeing somebody. And if it's a celebration, even better, because then it allows people just very easily to jump in and say, happy birthday, you're looking great, something like that. Um, you can then tag that person in the picture. And so then their friends see it. And then they are brought back to the, the nonprofit's Facebook page where they can then see oh, this person, Tom, works with this organization. This is what this organization does. And then you just spread your message a little bit wider um, than where it was before. So Facebook is, is, is wonderful for just that, the, the professional accomplishments and things like that that you definitely want to talk about um, because they do relate to your, the nonprofit, but also just a little bit more fun. Here's a, here's a fundraiser we did. Here's a 5k that we sponsored. Here is Christmas in July or, or whatever it is. Here are pictures from all of these events that are great on Facebook and just allows you to have that more personal touch. I love it. And I loved your example early on about, you know, national dog days. So taking maybe some of those fun, you know, days that we know exist, um, and being able to tie them in and, and, you know, it, it sounds like there's more fun and more latitude for that in, in Facebook, perhaps. Absolutely. Yes. Okay. Good, good, good. And then, so Instagram, since the original question that I don't want to lose sight, and, <laughs> and I know you answered it, but, but I want to be, I want to honor the, the person who asked this, right? So mm -hmm. they were like, Hey, can I use the same stuff on Facebook or Instagram? So now taking the same example of homeless seniors, so, so how, how does then that look on Instagram? Um, you know, we've talked about LinkedIn, Facebook, now, now we're moving to Instagram. So what, what would that look like on Instagram? Instagram is hundred percent visual. So you have to filter out that text heavy stuff, the interesting articles and um, all of the, the wordy stuff, because you can't, you, you want to be able to tell your story visually on Instagram and you can't click links from Instagram. You have to like, type out the entire link and then a person would have to type in that link into their browser. It's just not effective. Um, and so you have to be able to tell your story from there. So you're not going to be able to share 
and articles that you read so much from there, but you can say, here is a picture of our CEO or our executive director being interviewed by the Washington Post. You can find it on their website or something along those lines, but it's just telling the story visually. Um, It allows you to have a little bit more fun because you can show celebrations, you can show videos, you can show the 5k, you can, um, and Instagram has so many tools now that you can add to your stories and your reels and on your actual page um, with uh, different effects and things like that to help you make your page more visually stunning. So it's just telling the story of your brand through pictures. Um, You have a little bit more flexibility because people, like I said, people relate to people. Uh, People love to see people. They love to see faces. They love to relate to people and people's stories. And it looks, if it looks visually stimulating, they're going to read it. There's so much content on Facebook and LinkedIn. Everything is very text heavy and very wordy and things like that. You have to kind of catch somebody with a word here or there to make them to, to catch somebody's attention on Instagram. It's just a picture that, you know, if you see something that if you see a person and you're like, Oh, what, what is this person doing? Then that you've, you've caught, you've captured a person. And then that just spreads your message even further than what you did on LinkedIn. LinkedIn, you're going to capture, you know, this big of an audience on, on Facebook. It'll grow a little bit bigger on Instagram. You grow that page or you grow that audience so much more. So using those platforms in the right way can really help to spread the message of your nonprofit to the people who may pay attention to it or need to want to be involved or have know someone who could use the help. I love it. As we wrap up, one final question I have for you, April, is nonprofits obviously always struggle with having enough people, enough staff, right, to do the job. They, I am going to guess, that the person who originally wrote us this question, right, it's probably saying, oh God, can I just use the same message across as many platforms mm-hmm. because I don't, have, I don't have the time to like customize and I don't have the staff to do that. So, so what do you recommend for those organizations that really don't have those kinds of resources, which mm-hmm. is most nonprofits listening to this and most nonprofits out there, what, what would you recommend that, that they do? Um, you know, one piece of advice I learned from a social media conference I went to, I think um, in 2019, which I've kind of carried with me since then, is you don't have to be all things to all social media platforms. You don't have to be on all social media platforms if you don't want to. There's a social media platform that is perfect for your organization and your message. And so it is overwhelming to post to Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, Pinterest, TikTok. It's, it, the list can go on and it is overwhelming and I completely understand that. So my advice is to pick one and be very good at that one. Be consistent with that one. And if you are wondering if your messaging works for multiple platforms or is your message even good for the platform that you're working on, the answer is post it and see how people respond to it. And if people aren't responding to it, don't post things like that in the future. But if people are responding to, if you're posting to LinkedIn and you're sharing pictures of your dog for National Dog Day and no one's really responding to that, okay, we keep that off of that platform, but we continue to post the awards, the, 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 your mission, the, how you're moving your mission forward. You can post, continue to post that more professional stuff that you're going to have either way. Whether you are trying to or not, you have the content It's just formulating it and posting it to your um, chosen social media platform, making it good, being consistent there. And it doesn't have to be as daunting as it seems. Each social media platform is a small bite. Start with a small bite. You don't have to take all of them. 
I love that. That's a great way to end this segment, right? One bite at a time. And right. I love (laughs) it. And I hope that helps our listeners so they don't walk away feeling overwhelmed, but actually empowered to move something forward. With that, April, thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us today. Thank you so much for having me, Stacey. I really appreciate it. We are looking to hire our first ED and have a candidate that I think would be a good fit. The problem is that she's the daughter-in-law of one of our board members. I'm sure there are conflict of interest issues here, but I would like some input into how we might be able to make this work. Yeah, there, like there are conflict It's. Issues. I like this because it's written in a positive way. And some of these other oh. conflict of interest questions are always like, how do I get out of this horrible situation? I know, I know, I know. It's like, how can we make it work? Yes, let's try to make this work. Yeah. Um, well, I don't, I don't know if the person, I'm going to go extreme on this. I mean, I guess we could talk about how, I, I, how you can make this work. I mean, the, the cleanest way to make this work is to ask the board member to resign, right? Like that's the cleanest way. I'm sure the person writing this is aware of this, right? But the conflict, I mean, one of the conflicts is that you have a board, you know, one of the board's primary roles is hiring, evaluating if they need to firing the executive director. So, um, so I mean, you, I guess you could, if you wanted to say that maybe this board member, if you wanted to keep them could recuse themselves and follow a conflict of interest process and policy for that. But I think what I'm more concerned about is that there's a lot of other decisions and things the executive director is going to be bringing to the board and my concern is whether the board will look at this at this board member with the the conflict as as always operating in the best interest of the organization versus uh, siding with the executive director. If there's even a perceived conflict of interest, I think that that really puts things at risk. Which is why I think the cleanest way is see if this board member could sort of, you know, are they willing to step aside at least for a time being? Maybe they can just be a volunteer in another capacity, serve on a committee or something, but not be in sort of a governing um, fiduciary role. Um, it's probably the cleanest. Um, and I guess if you if you want to stretch it, it might be the other idea I suggested. You think I'm being too hard on this, Andy? You know, I don't think so. I, th- I think we're exactly on the same page because there's already in, in that sort of board executive director relationship, there's already a lot of deference that happens that the board just, you know, the, the, and, and many boards, they just want to have hired somebody competent so they don't have to worry about it anymore, especially in that we're, we're moving from the, the board does everything to we're finally hiring our first executive director. That's a big step. And there's a sort of a sense of relief that goes along with that. It's like, finally, we've got somebody who can return phone calls because it's so annoying to have yeah. to return phone calls or answer email or whatever. So, yeah. so that, that set you have to like weigh that against like, is the board really going to be doing their job, which is making sure that the executive director is acting appropriately, is doing the things that they're supposed to be doing. Can they, are they going to be able to evaluate that person totally objectively, not even knowing that, that they're related, but knowing that the, a person that they're related to is sitting next to them. Right. Or yes. or will be part of we'll we'll get to see the executive director's review once we've completed it and he comes back in the room. So so while you could manage it with a with a conflict of interest policy, I I think 
I think you're probably better off as an organization of finding a way for that that board member, if you really, really badly want this executive director, finding a way for that board member to find something else to do in the organization and and not having them be part of that supervisory experience. And, and then the other thing is like maybe you keep looking for an executive director because that, you know, my opinion, maybe the maybe the daughter-in-law of a board member is might not necessarily be the best person for the job. You need to, that, that might be something I'd consider too, is continuing to look there. You have crossed the finish line. Congratulations. You made it through another episode of Nonprofit Everything. Hopefully, though, this is a little bit easier than running a marathon because <laughs> if, if it's more painful than that, then we are so sorry. And we probably need to just close up doing doing this. <laughs> but <laughs> anyways, we do appreciate you as our listeners and uh, always appreciate it when you share this with, with colleagues, with friends in the sector. And of course, when you send us your questions, which, uh, you know, are what fuel the engine behind this. So send us your questions, nonprofiteverything.com. And a special shout out to Anne, the Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits, where you can get a lot of professional development training and other needs met other than just this podcast, which they make possible. So check them out and uh, we'll see you next time. Or we'll, you'll listen to us next time, maybe is a better, better way to wrap it up. Mm-hmm.